The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Beloved, we welcome you to this service of ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at Marsh Chapel, for our radio congregation across New England at WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe. On this first Sunday of the month, as is our custom, we welcome all of whatever age, station, or background to participate in the Sacrament of Holy Communion. Those listening on the radio may request communion in the home by calling the chapel office. On this Sunday, we commend to you the ministry of the chapel and its programmatic offerings and its sermon offerings found on our website. On this Sunday, we invite those so moved to identify as members of the chapel chapter simply by speaking with our director of hospitality, Rachel Cape, or one of our clergy, or by leaving a note in the collection plate. On this Sunday, we encourage you all to continue or to commence the practice of tithing, of disciplined generosity, and to indic indicate interest in giving to our chapel director, Ray Bouchard, by email, phone, or voice. On this first Sunday, we ask you to ask yourself what form your ministry here will take in the coming weeks. A community luncheon follows worship downstairs, and all are warmly invited. This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
pray. O God, your never-failing providence sets in order all things, both in heaven and earth. Put away from us, we entreat you, all hurtful things, and give us those things which are profitable for us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. A lesson from St. Paul's Epistle to the Galatians, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaimed to you, let that one be accursed. As we have said before, so now I repeat, if anyone proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin, for I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me in reading responsively Psalm 96 with the antiphon. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. 
The world is firmly established, shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. you to rise as you are able for the singing of the glory of Patri and the reading of the gospel. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke, chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Glory to you, O Lord. After Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly, and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them. But when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you. But only speak the word and let my servant be healed, for I am also a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. When, excuse me, <clears throat> when St. Paul writes that the gospel came to him by apocalypse, Galatians 1.12, he intends neither a sole reliance on experience to the left, nor a rejection of experience to the right. The gospel comes by apocalypse at the incursion of spirit in life, of love and experience, of experience inside out, a touch of grace. So our experience matters and our awareness of experience invaded is largely all we have. May 2nd, our friend and teacher ret retired in New York City. 
Dr. Christopher Morris lectured on the history of Christian theology in September of 1976 and before and later. The lectures built in part upon the lectures of Robert Calhoun at Yale a decade and more earlier, it may have been, are today still shimmering in memory some 40 years later. Speech matters. On a bright May morning, some from near and some from far drove to Riverside Drive, parked behind Grant's tomb, wondered again and aloud who was buried there, peered in at the dark, historic, Gothic emptiness of Riverside Church, hunted down friends at the interchurch center next door, sat in the venerable Union Theological Seminary courtyard, fragrant and cloistered and quiet, then in James Chapel, now filling with five decades of friends and students. The honoree asked not to preach, but only to celebrate the Eucharist in clear Methodist fashion as we do today. Doctoral students sang an anthem musically summarizing Morse's theological principles. Here in your imagination, words set to guitar and folk music, words like coherence, catholicity, conformity, all. A young student preached. Prayers were offered by another, strong, sonorous, spirited prayers offered by another young student, the son of a prominent New York City Methodist preacher. A simple luncheon followed with a portrait unveiled, no eulogies or roasts or remembrances, just 90 minutes from opening of worship to concluding of luncheon, moments of grace. Then the drive home along the coast and through New Haven, a drive mostly populated by ghosts, haunted by recollection and reckoning, riddled with gratitude. Friends, an excellent 80-minute lecture lives, feeds, and lasts a lifetime, maybe in this case three lifetimes and more. By the way, the young man who prayed so well, a cradle Methodist, a parsonage child, a brilliant future preacher, is gay, said a proud, heartbroken dad, quote, he will not lie, he will not stay, he will find another denomination. But the father's smile through pain was real, though fragile, real, though apocalyptic, a touch of grace, a holy Eucharist, love made real. May 16th started six days of commencement gladness here at Boston University across a campus and city still bruised and hurting from spring terror and death. We shall sorely and truly need together the ongoing development of a spiritual discipline against resentment Resentment acknowledged, admitted, accepted, and then, like Jacob with the angel, wrestled with in love. More than 80 graduates were anointed that evening by word and, word and sword with a scarlet key. The next day, the dental school celebration, large, colorful, global. That week, a certain choir learned that they would sing with the Rolling Stones, a band active when Christopher Morse was in college. Of course, with gladness, we happily recall the great big moments of commencement 2013, 
Morgan Freeman photographed with Jan Hill, for instance, or Morgan Freeman cheered by students, speech, speech, and an extra traditional mode he did. The Marsh Chapel Choir, did I mention, soon to sing with Mick Jagger, resplendent, redolent at the baccalaureate. The thrilled celebration of hoodings like that at the theology school here in the chapel. Music that evening from a chorus line, perhaps generationally specific in thrill with the Boston Pops. A magnificent advisory board meeting with a world-class presentation on global health. Greek and Latin orations from memory in the original at the Boston University Academy graduation on Monday with a fine sermon there from a text in St. Luke, to whom much is given, from him much is required, and upon the theme, closing the opportunity gap. All these and other moments were wonderful and more than wonderful. But come with me for a moment to an out-of-the-way smaller gathering that weekend, and a particularly powerful one every year. For us, the most meaningful graduation moment every year is not under the big tent, but among maybe 100 or 150 folks in Faneuil Hall, where 20 or so soldiers are commissioned as second lieutenants. In crisp attire and crisp liturgy, young men and women assemble before the portraits of Sam Adams and John Hancock and George Washington in the very cradle of the cradle of liberty. And the words, you can hear them in memory. The President of the United States has placed his trust and confidence. Do you promise to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution? And then the loved ones, parents or siblings or spouses, place the appellates upon the commissioned officers' shoulders, sending them from that moment potentially into harm's way for our sakes. Freedom is not free. To see mom and dad, brother and sister, husband and wife struggling to get the shoulder boards in place every May is the very marrow of commencement where a courageous present enters an uncertain future. This year, by apocalypse, apocalypse came the gospel, said Paul, experience turned inside out. One fine woman was aided by two other young women, her sister and her partner. In Boston, Faneuil Hall, before Adams, Hancock, and Washington, her sister and her partner. She is going to place herself in mortal danger for us. And we are going to question her practice of love one thinks not. It was a very full moment, an apocalypse, if you will, a touch of grace. By May 22nd, after the last of 27 different commencement events for us over those six days, and the last being the gracious retired faculty and staff association luncheon, an organization long chaired by two Marsh Chapel stalwarts, we pointed the car due north toward l'Europe prochaine, Montreal, the Europe next door, 
the second largest French-speaking city in the world. A BU class was there arranged on urban mission and ministry. While students pondered the pattern and significance of the work of Jean Vanier, founder of L'Arche, and his emphasis on belonging, his longing for belonging, we remembered our own decade in and out of Quebec. The Faculty of Religious Studies, Burke's building, pristine and waxed, gothic and beautiful, and summer empty, welcomed us with open arms. Part school, part church, part library, part chapel, part study, part sanctuary, part office, part altar, part lectern, part pulpit, part mind, part heart. And the current faculty, many friends, Green, Kirkpatrick, Aiken, Baum, Hall, Goldberger, Henderson, Sharma, Pedham, had placed their books on display and their faces restored for us a part of our very being. Our friends give us back ourselves. Shadows, shades of memory greeted us too. N.T. Wright in 1981 in the chapel announcing the death of Anwar Sadat. Dean Eric J., long retired, admitting that the early church rejected Patripassianism, but as he then said, just barely. Dean R.B.Y. Scott, whose hymn, O Day of God, Draw Nigh, we often sing here at Marsh Chapel. Deans Johnston, McClelland, and Runnels, Johnston stating at the oral exam that Q was a missionary tract, a teaching tract, and so it was. Wilfred Cantwell Smith, like Howard Thurman, more than 100 years ahead of his time, more than 50 years ago. The day of registration, the day of defense, the day of graduation, forms of real contest at a time of young life, young hope, young fear. And all around the beauty of Canadian life, the Canadian self-deferential, self-mockery, of which we could use a steady dose now and then here south of the border. Like the old saying, we could, said the Canadian, we could have had the best of British culture, French cuisine, and American government, but we got instead British cuisine, French government, and American culture. <laughs> Funny, but not true, except in the tone of self-deprecation. When G.B. Caird came to, came to McGill, he spoke of the unity of the New Testament decades ago. And looking at his portrait, one saw there resembled a Methodist minister in today's church, Dr. Thomas Ogletree. Tom is nearly 80. Let me describe him for you. We saw him in March at a meeting. Courtly, gracious, soft-spoken, white-bearded, grandfatherly bespectacled. The former Dean of Yale Divinity and the author of much of the theological substance still in our United Methodist Book of Discipline. I expect that if you looked in the dictionary to find the definition of this archaic but wonderful phrase, Christian gentleman, you might there find his photograph. Last year he solemnized the marriage of one of his five children, a son, to another man. And now the winds of reaction, abetted by the mistaken misguidance of the current general superintendent in New York, are bringing him 
Tom Ogletree to trial. The measure of our current failure to live up to the much ballyhooed Methodist tradition of social justice and holiness can no more accurately be taken than by this dark image of Ogletree on trial before Methodism. Al contraire, we thought in Montreal with a little bit of French. It is not Ogletree on trial before Methodism. It is Ogletree who has brought Methodism to trial, not the reverse. Here he is, gentle, forbearing, honest, a touch of grace. Our annual conference in Syracuse concluded yesterday, among many other earthly delights, it included a fire alarm, no harm, no injuries, during opening worship. Imagine 1,500 Methodists fleeing and stampeding out of a convention center, fleeing from the wrath to come. No flames, just apocalyptic mirth, and moments in the sunshine of fellowship and that for which conference is designed, a chance to confer. It was also a truth moment. A fire alarm is ringing right now across Methodism. Since 2010, from Albany to Buffalo, my beloved conference has lost 11% in three years of its people. For those under 45, the disaffection is highly specific. As a denomination, we refuse to affirm the full humanity of gay people. Can we be surprised if people of conscience go elsewhere? What kind of future could you honestly want or expect from such an excluding denomination. During the fire alarm, I took the occasion to find and meet a pastor from Binghamton whose blog post I had read the week before. I close with Stephen Heiss's words, for they truly are my very own. To Mark Webb, General Superintendent, my brother in Christ, he wrote, in the spirit of the one who said the truth will set us free and emboldened by the freedom given by grace for which Jesus lived and died, I want and need to share with you how God has led me and many of our colleagues in ministries to help set at liberty those who have been held captive by the tyranny against people who are gay. In the last few years, I have officiated at several weddings for brothers and sisters who are lesbian or gay. One of those weddings, the highlight of my ministry, was for my own daughter and the woman who is now her wife. They are so happy. Further, much to my delight, I have plans to officiate in the near future at yet another wedding for two women, that their joy may also be complete. Bishop Webb, the long bitter era of scorn and hatred against gay people is dissolving before our very eyes. Christ has broken down the walls. Those who have lived within the law and those who have lived outside the law are sitting down together at the table of grace. The parable of the kingdom of God as a wedding banquet has become an event in real time for hundreds of gay couples across our state. Finally, like the guest list in Jesus' parable, those on the outside are invited to the inside of God's grace. They must come. Nevertheless, some yet refuse the invitation they make excuses. They cite scriptures, yet no, offer no interpretive principle by which their claims are validated. They prefer the tradition of elders to Jesus' teachings about not judging the other. 
They screen for the gnats of sexual correctness while the elephants of consumer materialism, environmental degradation, and global starvation pass right by completely unnoticed. We cannot ju judge them, of course, for they too are given grace. Who among us can say we have always accepted every invitation toward grace and away from judgment? And so grace abounds. Further, the harvest of that grace is found everywhere, even in the church. With regard to homosexuality, we who count ourselves as United Methodists have been wandering in the wilderness of uncertainty, be, uncertainty about all things gay for 40 long years. Now the promised land is coming into view. For those 40 years, we have attempted to trap gay folks in nets of shame. We stalked them with Bible verses. We legislated against them. Where is this and where is that? We sent them to trials. In righteous rage, we lifted stones against them. Now in our time, we are dropping those stones one by one. At first, mothers, dads, sisters, brothers, schoolmates, talk show hosts, the neighbor next door, we were learning. Then, psychologists, pediatricians, sociologists, school teachers, neuroscientists, biologists, counselors, we were learning. Then Anglicans, Episcopalians, Lutherans, United Churches of Christ, Presbyterians, Reformed Jews, we were learning. And now baseball players, Bible scholars, theologians, professional ethicists, Sunday school teachers, pastors, we are learning. And we are finally learning that being gay harms no one, no one, no one. We are learning it is not a sin to be gay, nor was it ever incompatible with Christian teaching. We are learning that it is really okay with God if one is gay. And so a new circle is forming, a new circle is being created, and it is being drawn wide, a circle of understanding, a circle of compassion, a circle of truth. The complex name for that circle might be the fellowship of those who are no longer throwing stones at people just because they happen to be gay or lesbian or bisexual or transgender. A simpler name for that circle might be those who are living, trying to live in the light of God's grace. We might add trying to live with a touch of grace. But the name of the circle I most hope for is this one, Come One Day the United Methodist Church. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the gospel comes by apocalypse, experience turned inside out. May this table in word and in sacrament be such a touch for each one of us as we continue with Jacob to wrestle at night with love present to us as an angel. Amen.
peace of the Lord be always with you. Please be seated. We welcome you once again here to the nave of Marsh Chapel on this fine Sunday morning. We invite you to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and your contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We note that Marsh Chapel is here present every Sunday morning throughout the summer. We are live 52 weeks a year and hope that you will join us some Sunday as you are able. We note that this coming Sunday, June 9th at 9.45 in the morning prior to the service, you're invited to join us downstairs in the Thurman Room for a summer reading suggestion group to offer suggestions to one another on what to read this summer while lying about on the beach on Cape Cod. We hope that you will keep an eye to the chapel website for all of our upcoming services and activities at bu.edu slash chapel, along with the opportunity for online giving. As the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering, we hope you will meditate on the words of Lobet den Herren alle Heiden, set by Johann Sebastian Bach, a setting of Psalm 117. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
For the work before us, for the life within us, for the fellowship among us, for thy love that surrounds us, we offer our thanks. Bless these gifts and, this, and the givers, we pray. Amen. Beloved Christ, our Lord, invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Let us pray. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. You are. Glory to God. Amen. The peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you always. May we extend to one another signs of his peace. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks. And it is right and a good and joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth. You formed us in your image and breathed into us the breath of life. 
When we turned away and our love failed, your love remained steadfast. You delivered us from captivity, made covenant to be our sovereign God, and spoke to us through your prophets. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. are you and blessed is your son Jesus Christ. Your spirit anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to announce that the time had come when you would save your people. He healed the sick, fed the hungry and ate with sinners. By the baptism of his suffering, death and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death and made with us a new covenant by the water and the spirit. When the Lord Jesus ascended, he promised to be with us always in the power of your word and Holy Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks, gave it to his disciples and said, drink from this all of you, this is my blood of the new covenant, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, almighty God, now and forever. Amen. And now with the confidence of children of God, let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Let us join together in our prayer of thanksgiving. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. beloved, we have been gathered, we have been fed, we have been healed by a touch of grace. As you are moved following the postlude, take a moment to greet someone whose name you don't yet know or whose story you haven't yet heard. And join us, please, for the Dish to Pass luncheon following worship. A word of benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. <laughs>